श्री गौरी वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जाय गौर भक्त वृंद की जाय हो प्रेम आनंदे सो नाइस टू बी विद यू अगेन एंड सम ऑफ यू स्टेड फॉर द लॉन्गर विद मोर इंटरेस्ट एंड मेबी अदर्स बिकॉज़ यू डिडंट हैव अ राइड टू गो अर्लियर बट um generally we uh in the afternoon sessions ask for questions so it's your turn to talk first <laughs> any question yeah um i was just thinking about how sometimes when we read scriptures or mm-hmm. sacred literature it's almost like we're looking into another world from the one that we live in but i was thinking that actually it's the world that we live in as well because the same you know what they're talking about applies to us and then i started to think is probably speculation is that maybe this is like some kind of extension of like gor lila or something because we're still the sankirtan movement is still <coughs> going today so i don't know if there's like some something like that you know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. some kind of idea like that that we're participating in lord chaitanya's lila even though he's not here with the whole movement mm-hmm. Well first of all I think that it, it it in one sense it's true that you if you study the sacred texts you appear to enter a different world written at a different time in a different language in in that sense just to answer your question in a very broad way at first um and um and there are of course from a different culture than here in the west analogies that uh, drawn from the environment that we don't have experience of we don't have experience of camels eating thorns and things like that for example so it does seem like a very exotic and and different world and and then there are people with foreheads and thousand arms and 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 what not um and so it's, it's uh, it does seem like a very different world in in one sense in one sense it is and hard to penetrate if you will and and relate to our world in a sense so if we have some good guidance of course then it's possible that we can understand what was written in a certain context certain cultural context that has a a transcultural and universal uh timeless application hmm? and also we can learn what kind of devices were employed in writing such books because we tend to maybe look at them uh from a certain uh what we do from a certain vantage point and they're often written from a very different vantage point in the way they describe the natural world for example the bhagavatam is not trying to describe the natural world like we would in a um in a biology or a chemistry or a physics class or something that's a very different perspective it only looks and examines the natural world with a view to um understand what under how consciousness underlies it and and um how to uncover that the consciousness that we are constituted of and so forth that it's very poetic um in the language and there are various poetic and literary devices that are employed with with usage of numbers and um and stories are told um that have been told in the bhagavatam for example in other texts prior to the bhagavatam 
with different imports, telling the same stories with a particular import. So it's kind of like a book based on a true story, like you have movies based on a true story. And then they augment the story a little bit for Hollywood and for sales and and so forth. And when the guy, you know, his kids see the story about him and he's dead and gone, they think it's not him at all or something. But uh, but they make a point through it, and it's based on a true story. So, you know, you have you know, the classic a classic example of that, or a prominent example of that would be the very storyline that uh, runs through the core of the whole Bhagavatam uh, that everything comes off of is the story of, well, Parikshit Maharaj's uh, uh, death is imminent and he goes to the bank of the Ganges and Sukadev comes and speaks to him. So everything's kind of coming off. The first canon was leading up to that. Uh, Parikshit Maharaj is introduced in about the hmm, uh, about the eighth chapter of the of the first canto, after the sages have asked questions at Naimisharanya and Sutta Goswami has answered the story of Vyasa's writing the Bhagavatam, is told his meeting with uh, uh, with Narada, and Narada's story is told, and so on and so forth. Then Parikshit Maharaj is introduced in some some beginning of a Leela narrative. Uh, all the way through the first canto, different players are introduced, and then Sugadev is introduced at the end of the first canto, and the second canto begins with Sugadev speaking to the, to, to the king, and then all the stories kind of come off of there, right? Um, so, anyway, the, the point being that the same story of Parikshit Maharaj hmm, um, and his curse to die, and so on and so forth. This is also told in, in the Mahabharata with a different ending, a different purport, <laughs> a different meaning, some, somewhat different, and so forth. So the Bhagavatam is a retelling of narratives found elsewhere for the sake of, of making particular points, like Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam, for example. This is one of its main points. This is the Paribhasutra of the Bhagavatam, the key to understanding the Tat of the Bhagavatam. Um, so, you, you, with good guidance, a book like this, you can understand how it was written, what kind of literary devices were employed, um, what um, um, the import, the different stories are. Like people quote, you know, some verse out of the Bhagavatam and say, you know, Bhagavatam says this, and it's Hiranyakasi Pu speaking. You know, I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, he also has a voice in there. But what's the context? And so, you know, it's a big book, you know, it's almost 18,000 verses and a lot of poetry, which is um, rather um, lends itself to different interpretations and so forth. And the, the prose also in the fifth canto, for example, is very uh, kind of com complex and and so forth, and, and there's a particular audience, and so certain sections are spoken for certain audience parts of the audience who are assembled at the bank of the Ganges for the, the passing of Parikshit Maharaj and the answering of his questions, pertinent questions on behalf of Vyasi, or on behalf of, uh, or by, by Sugadeva, I should say. So you have to kind of get all this in, in place, and good guidance can help us, and then we can take out what's, what's essential in, in the message, what applies in all time, in all circumstance, and what the... What, what the what, what's figurative and what's what it what it's what devices as I say, as I say literary devices may be employed to 
to make a point and so forth. Um, and that helps us then to you know, bring it into our world, if you will, because it does speak about something that is very, very pertinent. I mean, it speaks about uh, one of the themes that we uh, touched on in our discussion earlier today, the difference between, or is there one, consciousness and matter, brain and us, and so forth. This is not an old, dusty topic that can be retired to the trash bin. Hmm? An old book, this is a very, I mean, the nature of being, that's a pretty pretty pertinent uh, question. It is the question that I like to say human life constitutes. Human life is a question. We say that re- revelation, the texts, is, is, an, is, an, is an affirmation. Om is an affirmation. So it's, a, it's an answer. So what's the question? The question, we are the question. Human life is a question, like I said earlier. Why am I? What am I? What's the meaning? What's the value? Because that which is of, of value inherently, consciousness, is coming to the fore in this human vehicle. So this question is, is prominent. And as I said earlier also, nature can't answer that question. It can answer how to eat, because that's body question. How to mate how to defend your body, relatively speaking, and so forth. It can't answer the question that consciousness itself is asking, which is asked in human life. And so this book is answering to that. I mean, it's like pretty pertinent. And so, at any rate, therefore, it really does apply to our world and our times, which are very culturally different and so forth, but essentially not that different. Hmm. Essentially, I mean, it stays. The statistics are the same. Uh, the last we looked, 100 percent of the people are dying. So, you know, there's a few facts that <laughs> that stay in place, and then you know, this furniture changes. It's a, basically the same structure, but every now and then you get a different interior decorator and a new paint job, and so forth. So there are some ongoing themes that. And the text addresses them, and that that is what really, at the bones kind of level, is what our world is about. That it's talking about, I'm trying to help us see that, rather than not, rather than allow us to remain um, fixated on the particular uh, furniture of the of, of the moment, hmm? which would be to, to lose sight of of what the whole fair is about. So it is very much about our world too, in in, in an essential sense. And um, so, it's a different world, and it's our world. And what was your question? The last part. I guess the last part was I was thinking as we were chanting. I'm like, this is like a continuation. A continuation of Gaur Lila. Yeah. So, so in the book, like Chaitanya Charitamrita, there's these the the Leelas of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And here we are, um, chanting, talking about him, and so on and so forth. So, is this an extension of of that? Um, yeah, in a way, it, it, it is. And we have in our lineage something we call a sadhaka deha, a body deha of a sadhaka that we acquire, if you will, at the time of initiation upon hearing the mantra and when it's imparted and so forth, and then uh, living our lives within certain parameters that constitute a progressive uh, spiritual life. Um, as much as we live within those parameters and our senses are preoccupied with sense objects that are of a spiritual nature, 
our body will take on a spiritual quality. This is a great uh, like mystery of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, like the mystery of the you know changing the blood into the or the wine into the blood or something like that. You know, um, it's a, how the sadaka deha the sp- uh, body transforms. But, but it's very practical the idea because it's when it's in touch with sense objects, hmm, uh, then with a sense, as I said earlier, of possession and mind and so forth, a certain egoic sense of identity develops from that. And when they are in touch, the senses with with sense objects for spiritual purposes, using the thing for a spiritual purpose, for example, uh, it creates a very different type of sense of identity and so forth. And so there is a spiritualizing of the sadhaka deha. Hmm? And let's take, for example, um, let's take, for example, Prabhupada. Hmm? So here's a person in a sadhaka deha hmm? appearing, a Bengali, you know, gentleman, kind of short, but seemed very tall to me at the same time, the way he would look up and uh, and and so forth. I think he was only probably about five six or something like that, maybe five four. Very and he's very short, and uh, uh, but he always had his like vision, you know, like he was very tall and looking over everything. Anyway, so uh, he, he was very much absorbed in in faith in Harinam, and and um, and so. He has, you know, passed from the world, and where is his body? That's his sadhaka deha. When he pre- when he came on the boat across the Atlantic, he made a prayer hmm, to to Krishna, and uh, he 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 said, "My dear friend, uh, yeah, Krishna, uh, brother, by," he said that. Um, uh, the fact is that uh, if you uh, please Radharani, then your life will be successful, and that's that's for certain. He used the example of the pole star, the Dhruva Loka, so thought to be a, a, a fixed fixed star. Um, so it's as sure as as fixed as the this will never change. This is what your life orbits around. Your happiness, your piety, your fortune is dependent upon the extent to which Radharani is pleased with you. This is a very extraordinary kind of approach to Krishna. <laughs> Listen, buddy, he said, here's the facts, okay, and I know it. And and, and let me tell you something else, pal. Uh, my Gurudev, he's a representative of Radharani. Hmm? And so he asked me to do something, and you gotta give me the power to do it. Hmm? And then if you do, Radharani will be pleased with you, and your life will be successful. <laughs> it was his his negotiations, and in the and in the context that he begins to pray for that empowerment to do what he thought otherwise would be an insurmountable, you know, impossible mission, impossible kind of. You know, if you choose to accept it, <laughs> and of course he he did. You know, I mean, he came here. It was like another planet to him. Hmm? There's letters of him writing back 
to uh, other devotees in India. One letter he writes back and he says, you know, uh, I'm in New York and um, there's so many lights on here at night, it's, it's like brighter than the day and, and, and everybody's got their own car and, and, and there's no drivers. <laughs> what he meant by that is in India very few people have cars and those who do are rich people and they have a driver. I mean, they drive their own cars, and they've all got them. And there's lights everywhere at night, and it's like, you know, it's like a totally different planet that he came to. And uh, so how he will, I mean, I'm perplexed trying to talk to people in my own culture about Gaudiya Vaishnavism and explain it in a way that might, you know, make sense and and so forth. So his task was greater, the age difference between himself and, and what turned out to be the people who did give him an ear, younger people, and the cultural cultural difference and so forth. And Anyway, so it was a big task. He, he prayed for the power to do that. And, and, in, and in the context of that, if you study that prayer, the first half of it, he is feelingly praying for that his sadhaka deha, this practitioner's body, would be perfected, that the stage of sharanagati surrender would be fully erected in his heart, in place in his heart, that the drama of Krishna Lila would appear there soon, you know, in the theater near you. This is what his, was his ambition was. Uh, Pujapachiramar said that on that based on that period that he emptied himself out just absolutely, completely. No room for any other desire but the desire of his his guru, and he's ne- negotiating with Krishna for it. You've got you to give me the power to fulfill Radharani's uh, expectations of me. And of course, the order that he took from Radharani's camp was a suggestion that Bhakti Siddhanta said, well, it'd be good if you preach in English. You, know, you want some service, I make a suggestion. He took it like, a, like an order, and this way he, he negotiated with Krishna, and, and he's praying for Sharanagati for Sharanagati and Shraddha, these two are the same. You know, Sharna, what does he say? Sarva Dharman Purityajja Maam Ekam Sharanam Braja. So surrender to me. Make exclusive uh, devotion uh, to me. Uh, forget about religion, he says. If you want to know me, you have to give up religion. Hmm? That has to be thrown out. Hmm? Sarva Dharman, throw out the Varnashram, hmm? out the window. Just take shelter of me. Any other religion, I, w- I want a living idea, hmm? uh, not uh, not a not a a, uh, uh, a loving union, not a religious, <coughs> official, formal uh, union. Um, anyway, so there he asked for Sharanagati, and he's really saying, if you come to this, much as you are Sharanagata, you have the eligibility to tread the path. So he has awakened faith in Arjun. This is Krishna in the Gita at this time. He's awakened faith in him. And faith and Sharanagati, Sharanagati is the outer expression of Shraddha or faith. Hmm? And so a Sharanagata is a personification, if you will, in the full sense of the term, of inner faith. And that faith is divine, so there's what's fueling him. Hmm? Daivim prakriti mashrita mahatmanastu mamparta something else may perform therefore may perform ordinary activities 
in appearance like everyone else. But Vaishnavira Kriyamuta Bhidnina Bujai said, the activities of a Vaishnava, what's fueling them? That's another thing altogether. And every now and then you get a glimpse. He or she starts talking about something and, you know, or chanting or just kind of goes off, you know. One minute you're having an ordinary conversation about whatever, the next minute, you know, the person's off and you know, talking about these kinds of topics and with some feeling and preoccupation and it's feel like it's happening right here and so forth. So this is the life of a Vaishnava, difficult to uh, uh, understand. You have to look carefully. There are examples in the Leela of, for example, Gadadhar Pandit was told by Mukunda. Gadadhar Pandit was a Vaishnava from his, from his, from his birth. <coughs> and uh, so Mukunda said, there's a Vaishnava, Param Vaishnava coming to town from East Bengal. His name is Pundarik. Come and see him. So eagerly he went. Here comes Pundarik riding on a palanquin and um, smoking a hookah. And he said, well, what's going on? I thought I was coming to see a Vaishnava. So Mukunda could understand that something in, in, in his internal Leela Seva is motivating him, Pundarik, to act in a certain way. It could be misconstrued. Gadadhar is misconstruing. So he began to sing a song. Hmm? Chant some verse from Bhagavatam. Ho bakiyam stanakalakutam, like this. Oh, what is Putana's position? She smeared poison on her breast. Hmm? She gave it to Krishna. What is Krishna's position? She tried to commit infanticide and he gave her position as an eternal nurse. Who, is, who in their right mind would take shelter of anybody but Krishna? Just disguise yourself like a devotee with an evil intention and and he might get uh, an extraordinary position in his leela. Hmm? So when he chanted this verse, Pundarik, who was actually the incarnation of Radharani's father in Gaur Leela, fell off the palanquin, started foaming at the mouth and rolling on the ground. And Kadadar thought, oh, goodness, <laughs> he's a Parambhajna. This is very extraordinary. Uh, so difficult to understand. So in the first part of Prabhupada's poem, he's putting this sharanagati in place. You, you see the nature of his prayers. He, then, having prayed like that, then he makes an aspiration. Tomara bilane bai abarse shukapai gocharani guridin bor. Kotovane chutto chuti, bane kai rutoputi, seiding kovehovimor. He says, I want to go and join in the pasturing with Krishna, with the cows, all day long. Banekai lutoputi, chutta chuti, lutoputi. This is Sakyarasa. You can just tell by the sound. Hmm? Rolling and frolicking, and it's all day long. And so, this is desiring, having deserved, to use a adage of Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasthi First deserve, then desire. Hmm? Like you, you know, you say, I want to go to India. Okay, you know, enough of that. Get to work. You got to buy a ticket. You know, you don't just sit there. And, I want to go to India. I want to go to India. <laughs> okay, good enough. Well, start going. Go to work. Get a, get a, get a job. Get a ticket. You know, get a visa. You know, you can't just so. You have a general aspiration, and you 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 conduct yourself in such a way that you have that your aspirations become meaningful. Hmm? They become actually meaningful. You're doing what's what's necessary. Hmm? if you will, that, that they might have, bear fruit. 
So sharanagati, this is for sadhana and longing, hmm, desire. This is this is for bhav bhakti. Hmm. So he prays for us as the sharanagati, and he's so deserving. You hear his prayer, so deserving. You just want to like give it to him, Krishna. I mean, and so artful in the way he you know negotiates with Krishna. Deep, you can tell deep understanding of tattva. How could he? He could, how, in Rasa Tattva, <laughs> and what what Swayam Bhagwan means? Hmm? Swayam Bhagwan means that Krishna standing next to Radha. Hmm? That is that is Swayam Bhagwan. That is Krishna. So all this Tattva is there. You can see his his petitioning for surrender is all based on very deep understanding of the of the canvas that underlies the philosophical theological canvas that underlies the art of Krishna Lila. He, he, all it's all there in a poem and in an aspiration for sharanagati, so nice. Hmm? In other words, if you want to do shar, you want to do sharanagati, be a surrendered. So people, what is it? Well, what? Is, how do you do that? Well, there's a way to do that, and uh, and some some willingness to take the trouble to, if you will, not that troublesome, but to understand the implications of the text, the philosophy that underlies the whole thing. This Leela is dancing on a. On, like I say, on a canvas of it's like the math behind the music. You know, some of you are musicians. Well, it, you know, it's not just you just plays. You know, there's some math to the thing. Uh, you got to know the notes and so on and so forth. Or to art, there's math. There's so many dots and and whatnot. And you know, it looks like he just went. There was a picture. He had talent. You know, he did. But there's a, there's so there's a Vedanta hmm? head or body, if you will head, let's say, and body to the heart that is bhakti. So bhakti is love, but it's very wise love. So anyway, Prabhupada's praying for this like sharanagati and you can see by his prayer, like, oh, he's a sharanagata, but, but he knows what that means. And then he then he aspires hmm, it, 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 as a bhava bhakta would to attain a position in Krishna Lila in an internal spiritual body. But where does that internal spiritual body come from? Where are you going to get that? Hmm? You're going to get that by applying yourself in terms of your sadhaka day, because raga bhakti is invo- involves two bodies. Seva sadhaka rupena sudha rupena chatrahi. Hmm? You've got to engage a sadhaka deha, and to the extent that it is engaged, a sudha deha will, will arise out of that. Hmm? It arises out of the spiritual spiritual practice. Hmm? Not that it's an, not that it's effort born, not that it's, it, it originates in time, hmm? but it descends and awakens within us as we apply ourselves in sadhana bhakti. Hmm? So two bodies, right? Hmm? A sadhaka day and a siddha day. In the siddha day, he's in 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 Krishna lila. Hmm? In the sadhaka day, that gives that gives birth, if you will, or gives rise to the man of the, the, the he. The arising at Kare Udai, Nichasida Krishna Prem Sadhika Bunai, Shravanadi Sudhachite, Kare Udai. It awakens. It arises. It arises naturally, like the sun arises, naturally. Naturally, for one who engages oneself in Sadhana Bhakti seriously, like Prabhupada did seriously, Guravagyam. Shirasi Dritva Shaktivesha Sorupine Hare Krishna Mantrena 
as we sing as a, a pranam for Prabhupada. Mm-hmm. He took yeah, he took the order of his guru on his head. He carried it. Mm-hmm. The burden of that. Mm-hmm. This is how to use the sadhaka day. In, in this way, a siddha day arises. So, my point is that the sadhaka day, this is a very extraordinary thing. When it's fully spiritualized, where is it then? Does it die? Hmm? Well, you can say, well, Prabhupada passed from the world. His body is not here anymore, but it's on so many altars. It's in so many hearts. People, devotees, are meditating on that. Hmm? Right? His disciples in particular. Hmm? So that's why, for example, the acharya, uh, the typical um, method for dealing with the deceased in India is cremation. But there, the exception is that the Acharya's body, his or her body is not cremated. Because it's, why? Because the idea is that's, that sadhaka deha has been fully spiritualized. And out of it has arisen siddha deha. So it's a very extraordinary thing in and of itself. It's, it's worshipable. So we keep the picture of the Acharya. Uh, and we we on the altar and and we we can have some um you can um communicate if you will with uh, with uh, the, uh, through through that form and or through the through internally through the siddha day in higher stages of bhakti that's the idea kintu pragoya priyavadasya so there is a therefore we would call Prabhupada's body, a, a purified sadhaka deha that is, yes, an extension of Gorlila, because it, it has, it, it's eternal in the sense that, it, that that form is always worshipable, even though it's passed from our view and gone through what a, you know, a biological death, it still has a, a, an ongoing living. Uh, presence in the subjective world of consciousness of the devotees, and arguably, also, it has an appearance in the Nitya Lila of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, just like Rupa Goswami, Sanatana Goswami. Internally, in their Siddhadeya, they were handmaidens of Radha. In Gaur Lila, they appear as young Brahmin boys. Do they look like they looked? In their sadhaka they are just a little younger, hmm? something like that. So in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, the basic idea is that there are two two bodies for two leelas. It's really one leela. Krishna leela and Gaur leela are one leela. If you really understand Krishna leela, then you understand there must be a Gaur leela. Hmm? You understand that, right? You've heard that enough. <laughs> this is a very important point. If you really, really understand Krishna leela, then you understand there has to be a Gaur Leela, there has to be a Chaitanya. Hmm? There's no avoiding that. This is a very interesting point. If you go deeply into Krishna Leela, you see, ah, this, there it is. It has to be there. So these are this is an extension, the natural extension of Krishna's own Leela, where everything is reversed out. I've compared it to a reverse jacket, where if you have black and gold and the main color is black, the trim is gold, you reverse it out, the main color is gold, the trim is black. This is the difference between Krishna Leela and Gaur Leela. The, the, the object of love, Krishna, becomes the shelter of love in Gaur Lila, trying to understand himself from
from Radha's perspective. And there's real theological reasons for that, necessity for that. Hmm? So, that Gore Leela, that is called Sadaka Siddha Bhumi, a land, Bhumi, where, sad, where Siddhas are playing in Leela like Sadakas. Hmm? They don't know they're playing because they play hard enough <laughs> that, that, that they get lost in the play, if you will. And there they are with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And all the things that we do, you know, you, you, you chant and you hear, chanting once, so we'll do this. Chanting twice, we'll do that. Chanting three times, we'll do that. And, and worshiping the art, doing the arctic like this once and so forth. All those things happen every time. Hmm? So it's a very extraordinary uh, world where sadhakas are all hand in hand with Nimai Pandit going to the house of Srivas performing kirtan. And every now and then, they, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu enters into Krishna Leela and the devotees go with him. And they see themselves in Krishna Leela and they're back in the Gaur Leela. So this is, this is, so they need, they have body in each place. Hmm? So arguably, the teaching is that this perfected sadhaka deha, hmm, which may take lifetimes to perfect, hmm, in that perfected sadhaka deha, one has an appearance in Gaur Leela. Hmm? So the form of Prabhupada that we are familiar with, recognizable, a little different, but recognizable. Hmm? They're in, they're in Gorlila also. His Asha, they say, Iskon is there in the spiritual world. <laughs> well, I, I said, we, I, it is. It's the only planet that, that they fall down from up there. But <laughs> that's another thing. But but anyway, they say, it's not a bad idea. It's not a wrong kind of idea, in a sense. It, you know, it tends to be a sectarian uh, argument that's put out sometimes like that, but otherwise, principally, yes, hmm. the gurus' ashrams are all there. They're all they're all well funded, though, <laughs> unlike here. <laughs> uh, so uh, and well staffed, and and so on and so forth. So in that sense, you're you're involved, yes, in the extension of Gorlila, and and you're, you're trying to get you to, to enter in there. It may take a couple lifetimes. Hmm? Three, maybe, something like that. Two, three, possibly one. We know we all come from different backgrounds and so forth. But the idea is it has, it has merit. Hmm? That and, and the more, of course, we absorb ourselves in this with good sangha, good association, and so forth, we start to feel like that. We start to experience that. Yes, this is this, this is this, they, we are doing the same thing that they are doing hmm? in Gorleva. And so we can get the same experience. We might think, oh, if only I was there when Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was there. But of course, Nam is here. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu told in Chaitanya Bhagavad, he told, I will come again in two ways. Hmm? I will come. And it's interpreted in different ways. In, as Ananda and in Kirtan. Hmm? And Ananda sometimes refers to the deity who you can love, you know, like cook for and so forth. And the name, of course, in Kirtan. So he continues on in his own words the pen of Vrindavan Das Thakur in the form of deity of himself hmm, and kirtan. So if we have these things, then we're in, arguably in the extension of Gorlila. Does that help? Yes. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, topic for sure. Just a follow-up question to that. Yeah. Um, so all the players in Chaitanya and Chaitanya's Leela were perfected souls coming in 
playing with sodicas, is what you're saying? No. no. Some some were came with, some were entering in. Okay. The ones, so the ones that like Mars, Sarvabhoma, they were entering in. They all were perfected within that lifetime, or yeah. perfected at the time that they came yeah. to the Leela. Yeah. So were there any people like us in the Leela? <laughs> <laughs> As a fly. Like, you know, like, you know, just, just, you know, maybe in an art and a you know, here I am, you know, practicing, but I'm, yeah, it was that. Like that one devotee, they wanted to get out of town because he criticized Lord Chaitanya's eating. Oh, and they uh, wanted to push him out, like you said. Ramachandra Puri. Well, there are villains in the dramas, you know. There have to be black hats and white hats uh, in order to for the drama to draw out all sentiments and so forth. So the, the tendency is to think of such persons all in a very uh, positive and high spiritual Light, despite the fact that some of them may play um, um, kind of bad guys or adversarial roles, yeah. Um, so, were there any passers-by or whatever? That's quite possible, quite possible, you know. But but then they would have to think, but why were they there? <laughs> you know, why did it? So there has to be a reason for that, and so and um, then it makes it less uh, that makes them less ordinary you know you even look for example at the different the demons in Krishna Leela and you look at the background from something like uh, Garga Samhita or something what who Putana was in her previous life and Bakasur and so forth and um, you see they were uh, quite extraordinary but you know yeah you could have been a bird there I don't know or <laughs> possible. I really don't know the answer to, to, to that question. I don't think anybody could answer, but the tendency has been always on the part of our acharyas to, to teach us to regard everyone in the Leela in a certain perspective. Leela is a play, it's drama, and so forth. So even those who, as I say, play an adversarial role, have uh, they're, they're bringing something out and we're being taught by that. And certain feelings are coming out as a result of that. So I mean, once um, Pujapad Chidamars told us you should look at all the, all the your, your god brothers and your god sisters, you know, as part of the leela, and some of them are, you know, adversarial, <laughs> a lot of them, and some of them are, <laughs> are you know, are wearing the white hats and so forth, and then you know, so you react accordingly. But then you know it's a drama too. So, to some extent, uh, something like that. It's, it's a special thing. It's, 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 what's happening to you? It's hard. Oh, not always. You're not always able to perceive what's happening to you hmm? because of preoccupation with material objects and things and so forth. But it's happening nonetheless. That's the wonder of bhakti. How you know real estate in in a land beyond death is being purchased. By you, with every mantra that you chant, with every very heartbeat that you have for Krishna. Hmm? Um, you know, I've said before, if I want to build, if I say, you know, okay, I'm going to build you a house, and we put it on paper, and it looks really great, and so forth. So, after a month, you come out and want to look at it, and all you find is a hole in the ground. You know, like where's the house, Maharaj? You know, I mean, there's just a hole in it. It's supposed to go up. There's going down. <laughs> you know. Then you have to say, well, you know, there's the foundations required. Uh, you know, so, 
You need to put that in place. So someone with some vision can see everything's okay. It's going okay. <laughs> he says, how's it going? And then he knows, oh, okay, that's happening. Everything's all right. And so it's very extraordinary to be involved in these these kinds of affairs. And one day or sometimes you get a glimpse and you think, you, you understand, I'm not leaving this. I'm going to keep in the loop here. <laughs> this is very, very, very special, very extraordinary. And it will come on at a certain point so that everyone you meet, you know, you're meeting them for a reason. They were sent. There's a reason for that. There's a purpose why they came here today and so forth. And it's very extraordinary. <laughs> so it's a, it makes for an exciting life. Yeah. <laughs> what else? Another question? Can you speak um, a little bit about this, um, say how sectarianism can um, infiltrate a spiritual mission and the dangers of it, the um, implications of it? Uh-huh. Well, I don't know. Sectarianism, you speak about it, you use it in a, in a pejorative sense, and I think it, it probably has a positive sense too, um, you know, to uh, help me with that, Amal Bhakti. To be part of a sect is not necessarily a bad thing, and to define your sect um, with certain by certain parameters and so forth, by which it differentiates from others and, and so forth, has uh, has some value. <clears throat> Everyone should feel that their path is the best, otherwise they won't have the energy to per- proceed on it. Um, but best for me, hmm? best for me. Whereas um, another path, or let's say within Gaudiya Vaishnavism, another sect, um, another teacher, another guru is best for another, or something like that. Um, so you can feel strongly that my path is best, my guru is best um, uh, for me. And then you can have allowance for another guru to be best, for example, for for somebody else. So that's kind of a healthy, I guess, sectarianism because I'm part of this sect and I want to be part of this sect and I like it the most. And uh, uh, But I I acknowledge that that's... um, even the objective reasons I give for that are coming from my subjective participation in it and so on and so forth. So there's there's something to be said for that um, that's healthy and then there's something, uh, there's a point where sectarianism becomes unhealthy and counterproductive and so forth. And and that, of course, we we want to avoid. Um, And, um, you know, unfortunately, uh, it it does... um, it does happen, and you want to know how it happens. Um, well, um, the way it happens largely is that we get involved in a spiritual tradition, usually for spiritual reasons. Hmm? We hear something, we experience something in the Sangha, um, and we, we're drawn in to it for, the, for all the right reasons. Hmm? And maybe we have some ex- experience that's uh, powerful and compelling and so forth. Um, hard to sustain those experiences uh, 
It requires a sustained spiritual life, spiritual practice, and so forth. Um, but often what happens is because we get a experience in relation to a certain sect or, or teacher, then we, we know there's, it's a, there's a live current, there's something there, and so we become attached with it. Because we're unable to keep the experience alive sometimes, then we start identifying the experience with all of the supportive trappings, structure, uh, institutional mm, policies, and so on and so forth. And we, while we were drawn into the center, we, we kind of gravitate towards the, towards the circumference. And there's a strong tendency to identify with the sectarian um, boundaries, that the way they wear their tea lock there, or the way they dress there, the songs they sing here or there. You, you went, you sang these songs, these times, you got accustomed to that, it was very enthusi- enthused you, and then you, you see it doing it another way, and, and uh, suddenly you've gone from in a kind of an essential spiritual experiencing kind of a person that you were ready, open for anything, you know, looking, seeking spiritual life, very open. Hmm? You found it, uh, but, but then you gravitated towards, it's like, okay, I want to know the meaning of life, I cannot rest. So I say, okay, here's the meaning of life. Okay, thanks. Now I'll just go, go on with my ordinary life. Now I know the meaning. Okay, I just go. so we tend, it's our own material conditioning hmm, that causes us then to gravitate towards the fringe and identify with only the supporting props and so forth that, that, that can help to give rise to an essential spiritual experience. When that happens, then, 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 this is typical of a kanishtadikari or a, a person whose um, faith is, is weak, it's not that well, well-reasoned. Sometimes weak faith, it said, requires an enemy. Hmm? This is us weak. In other words, I have to... There's the bad guys over there. And, you know, uh, and they're wrong. That makes me right. I'm sure that they're wrong. That makes me right. I feel good about myself. Bad faith, weak faith requires an enemy, this kind of thing. And so it's a common uh, occurrence. Hmm? And it's, it's, a, it's a result of our con- material conditioning, which is very heavy. And, uh, you know, we're habituated in a long time for thinking in particular ways and acting in particular ways. And suddenly we come into a spiritual culture, we get a glimpse, and then we, we can kind of fall back into automatic and... Uh, and uh, it's working for us. And suddenly, that which we joined to change our life entirely is just providing a social life for us, an income for us, uh, uh, and ordinary things that previously weren't doing anything for us, that, that sent us out to be a seeker. And that's unfortunate when that happens, but it happens a lot. And so, in order that that doesn't happen, we need, really, we need living sadhus to come in and, like, shake us up. They don't just come in and pat you on the back and say, everything's fine, and, and then and put your donations over here, you know, something like that. They actually try to speak in such a way to use different language, make us think differently, say the same thing in a different way, and try to break us out of the, our you know, tendency to objectify that which is spiritual, that was... And make it make it into an, this is the mind's tendency to turn that which is spiritual into something that is like itself, material. Hmm? Hmm. 
It's just the the the, the mind is is like you know like a vulture. It's flying high, all kind of big thoughts, but it's just looking for something dead. Hmm? That's all. Hmm? It's trying to just make everything dead, and then feast on it. Hmm? You know, the, 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 your funeral is a feast for the for the vulture of the mind. So the mind is material, and it tries to it will try to make an intellect also. It will try to turn the spiritual into something less than what it is, objectify it. And that gives you some mental or intellectual comfort for a while. It doesn't satisfy the self. It doesn't purify the heart. It doesn't make you happy. And the next thing you know, you have things like, well, you know, God hates fags, you know, you know, or whatever. It gives a crude example. And somebody's carrying a sign, you know, you know, and, 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 and people are going, God, keep me away from those people. Uh, this is, uh, or you want wars for, you know, for, for whoever, Muhammad or whoever it is. Um, this kind of thing, we're, we're, we're the very antithesis of what is a spiritual life is being uh, perpetrated in the name of spirituality. Hmm? These kind of extremes we find. So this is part of that whole dynamic. Hmm? And a kind of a soft form of that is this kind of sectarianism that that uh, in, the, in the name of glorifying, let's say, my guru and and my God, I criticize your guru and, and 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 your God. That's why, for example, with regard to guru, there's a tattva. This has to be understood. Otherwise, the, the, the guru can be. It's, it's interesting, but that that vehicle, if you will, that manifestation of divinity that is meant to be so essentially instrumental in freeing us from the bondage of the, our mental life and preoccupations of goods and bads and happies and sads and so forth can be the, 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 the greatest source of bondage. Hmm? It's incredible how the whole thing can turn around, such as the power of the mind and our conditioning and such as the necessity, therefore, for ongoing kind of revitalization of what the teaching is and keeping us focused. We're like little ants, you know, you got things you're going to wander, you got somebody got to be like this and keep it going, you know, in the right direction. Hmm? Sadhu Sangha, this is very important. This is what can help us to avoid that, to overcome that and to expose that how we all in, in the name of spirituality and jai, you know, whomever, are the jai on this side is like, you know, condemning somebody that's doing the same thing, I mean, a spiritual thing, on the other side. It's, 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 it's mind-boggling. I mean, it's his mind... Well, I shouldn't say it, but it, 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 some example in Gaudi Vaishnava, some examples are there that are, are as, as mind-boggling as those people with, you know, that... Um, you know, with those signs, like I mentioned earlier, they're hate, you know, hate crimes in the name of of religion and so forth. Uh, there are things like within Gaudiya Vaishnavism, but they're as bewildering as as that, you know, why, why they don't let this fellow come to the temple or, or what, you know, it's like, I mean, it's kind of like probably would turn over in his grave. Of course, he wasn't cremated. He's in Samadhi, yeah, in his Samadhi. Something like that. What? They're not letting him go to the hell? What, what's, you know, what's going on here? You know, what did they do wrong? <laughs> kind of a thing, you know. So, 
and and it's it's bewildering to us. And, and you're asking the question through Rajan City because of your timidity, and that's a good quality. Shyness is a good quality. So uh, um, it's shocking to you, um, and it, it 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 really does like just it, it has no spiritual common sense to it whatsoever, and uh, but it's it's a powerful. Uh, phenomenon that uh, that that you can look at it and you can see over history it has occurred in religious traditions for eons and Muslims fighting with Hindus and 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 um, and Muslims with everybody else as well or whatever you know with the Christians and uh, and so on and so forth and, <coughs> and secular people and <coughs> and it happens to us too it happens to Gaudiya Vaishnavas too. That was a rude awakening for me when I saw, whoa, what's happening here too? I had to say, hmm, yeah, well, it is what it is, you know. It's, it happens. So, um, well, it was for me. <laughs> I guess I could look at it like that. It would be would be a positive take on it, you know. Um, that would be a you know a kind of a a Lilo way of looking at it and you know it's fair enough and that that could 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 enable you to look at it in such a way that you wouldn't become discouraged and develop a hard heart and so forth and and still you would avoid certain people and 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 seek the association of others and so forth so that's in a way a healthy way to look at it um but um yeah it's an unfortunate um phenomenon and um it's quite it's quite a common thing um so we should try to militate against it, if you will, um, by good example, and um, and and that, that's probably the best thing we can do. Just try to be a good, good, good example ourselves, and uh, and uh, and then you know you want to join a group. The gopis joined a group. Who was their group? They heard Krishna's flute in the night. Each one of them heard heard her name on the flute. They got. This is the last diksha. They're in the lila. They heard the flute. This is the mantra in their ear. And they heard their own names, hmm? and and then they went. They heard the flute. They had a thousand eight reasons not to go. The stove was milk was burning over. The children were crying. There were household duties and so forth, and nobody was going with them. Hmm? They went, each one, individually. They didn't know. They didn't say, are you going? Did you hear it? What about you? No, they didn't wait for anything like that. They heard the call and they went. See, now you hear the call, we hear the call, and we go and we hold back and we hold back. Next life you hear the call, you go. One of these lives you hear that call and you go. Hmm? You hear and you know and you go. And you don't wait for anybody. When you get there, you found, oh, he came too, and she's here too. This is my group. Hmm? This is the group. Hmm? That's the group you want to be in. So groups, institutions are there. They have value. And, you know, they have, there's great potential for them for being counterproductive at a certain point for someone, even, in a, even not in a really negative sense. So there may be a point where an institution is very helpful to you. There may be a point where there's nothing particularly wrong with the institution, but it's not helpful for you. Hmm? And so you you know you have to follow what what will 
call your your progressive spiritual life. Hmm? That's kind of the the group you want to be in. It's a very non-sectarian and essential group, and um, you know it's it's about following your heart, which you're told not to do, of course, <laughs> sometimes. But you should really, in, in another sense. Hmm? Does that help? It's somewhat helpful, huh? Some follow-up? Uh, yeah. Does this kind of... Uh, well, I mean, my, I'm sure many will agree that it, it seems that sometimes in this in this Western world, in the Western adoption of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, uh, this sectarianism leads to to what we see as blatant operai. In the older tradition of Gaudiya Vaishnav practice in India... It would be was it just as blatant and as and ended in so much operat as we observe in our life in the Western culture, or is it because it's coming new to the Western culture? Well, I think there are um, some examples. I um, in India and uh, in uh, Gaudiya Vaishnava culture of of ex- pretty extreme uh, forms of what we're talking about. Just to go back a generation in the in the Gaudiya Math of Bhakti Siddhanta, there was a lot of sectarian feelings and so forth, and uh, um, that were not conducive for progressive spiritual life. That manifested identification with buildings and and um, followers and and, and so forth. Um, so that's one 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 generation back. Um, um, Thank you for coming. Okay. Come again. And um, as far as further back than that, um, um, I, I don't know. I tend to think that the dealings were more gentle and so forth. There are there are rifts in between the Balavas and the Godias or who has the right to worship a certain deity and so forth that are there historically. And it's hard to sort out, you know, all that history after all these years. And I tend to take a, have, have a positive, more generous take on that. But I don't think it's an inherently a, a Western thing. Um, you know, in, in outside of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, Hinduism can be very fundamentalist. Fundamentalist, we're, that's what we're really talking about. I think sectarianism... In a, in a pejorative sense, is, is is connected with a fundamentalist orientation to to spiritual practice, and it's a phenomenon that it occurs in the Middle East, in India, in in America, Canada, South America. It's material conditioning. Um, I suppose it might be dealt with a little differently in different cultures, expressed a little differently, um, but uh, I think it's it's it's, it's pretty. Pretty universal. Yes. I, I grew up in a, in a Vaishnav family. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, we never had this. Like, we could go to any temple. We visited yeah. any temple. Like we call it Ishtadev. Uh-huh. And go and worship. You know. Yeah. We had a family family tradition. Uh, the deity. You know. Where we go and respect. But family, like we had a family, a Kul Devata, the family. Mm-hmm. We had the Gram Devata, the temple of the village, or the place where you are li- living, the one who protects you. Mm-hmm. 
or Shiva in Vrindavan mm -hmm. protects so that's mm -hmm. like Ram Devata and then we have the Ish Devata. Mm -hmm. You can you can choose anyone, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, but uh, and but regarding the family tradition or not, we will not eat outside a Vaishnava family. Mm -hmm. All those things like how we are following, it was that we never like I never ate in a restaurant before my sister got married. That's the first time I went to a restaurant. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> so we we had that strict following of everything. Yeah. Grew up uh, doing arti and then doing two times Tulsi Puja, we do here one time. We do two times Tulsi Puja, doing, following everything up. But uh, regarding going, you know, going to listening to anyway, going to any... Sadhu, yeah. Yeah, we agree with that too. Anybody can come here and anybody can go anywhere they want. <laughs> and, you know, it really spiritual lives should be a little bit trusting. I, I tend to trust people who have intelligence and sincerity and so forth. And so read what you need to do, go where you need to go, and you know. And certainly hear from sadhus and go to all temples. And but yeah, some some institutions are have more sectarian policies than others. It's so I can understand how that would be uncomfortable for you. It's uncomfortable for me too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, I I know you do. I mean, right, right. But you want to be able to go to another temples, and I do too. Yeah, <laughs> I know the feeling. Yeah. yeah. If I go back home, I'm having more problem. Okay, you gone to, you are initiated also. No one knows that I'm initiated also. <laughs> uh huh. So I'll be having more problems also. <laughs> yeah. Not just this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's uh, you know it's, uh, we bring our material conditioning into spiritual life, and sometimes it it shows stronger than the than the spiritual conditioning we're trying to come under the influence of. So good to talk about it sometimes. Yes, Tristan. It would seem that uh, the best cure for sectarianism would be for persons to you kind of alluded to this to um, increase their spiritual practices. Better hearing, understanding, better, uh, more association with sadhus who can enlighten one. That these sorts of designations come when, when, when we're really forgetting what the, the goal is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And, and when practice becomes nishta instead of anishta, steady instead of unsteady, then with that steadiness, which conjures up a sense of rigidity, comes a humility, interestingly enough, and an openness. Because spiritual life is not black and white. As we said earlier, love is full of uncertainty uh, as much as it's certainty. So real spiritual life is full of openness. Mm -hmm. And w so when our practice is unsteady and it turns into steady practice, then we're actually starting to come in touch with the real nature of spirituality. So there's an openness. We realize verses could be interpreted in different ways and still fit within the parameters of, for example, what is the broad tradition of Gaudiya Vaishnavism and thought about in different ways. And they could sing different songs at different times and different places and so on and so forth. And, and that variety within the context of, 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 of the unity of, of one, for example, in Gaudiya Vaishnavism philosophy is beautiful. The variety, someone has a feeling for Sakya someone has a feeling for Madhurya Ras. That's, that's not a problem. Those are differences. That are that that are beautiful. They arise out of the same philosophy. So it's true what you say. 
as spiritual practice becomes steady, really, in other words, before it becomes steady, spiritual life appears more black and white. I need these handles to grab onto. This is spiritual. That's spiritual. That's not spiritual. This is spiritual. As we actually become, develop spiritually, there's inner life. And the handles we see are, are only had a purpose to them. As it's being fulfilled, then I'm no longer identifying the spiritual life with the props and supports and, uh, and so forth that at one time helped me, which could be counterproductive at another point if I'm not progressive in my practice. Hmm? Then I latch on to, 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 to the whole idea of Niyamagra. I latch on to rules and things and protocol and whatnot of a particular sect as if that is the be-all and the end-all of spiritual life. When it's really only uh, you know something devised to to bring me in and give me support so that I can go beyond them and enter into the the openness, if you will, that spiritual life uh, is is, is um, really characterized by. Hmm? So with with a hu- with humility and nishta, you're humble because you you, you know you you're before something that you're always going to be a student of. The tendency for uns- when one is a kanishta. And their practice is unsteady, is, is to objectify the tradition and uh, to make it black and white and has to be done this way and can't be done that way and, and, and so on and so forth. So this blends to the kind of sectarianism you're, you know, you're, you're, you're troubled by. So you're right. Spiritual practice, serious spiritual practice, um, makes it difficult to, uh, to uh, carry on with... Uh, that kind of a sectarian outlook. Hmm. And then, you know, the problem is, of course, you have certain things in place and you think you're spiritual, even though your practice isn't good. You know, it doesn't matter. I'm in this mission. Hmm. I may not chant, but I'm a follower of so-and-so, and and he's great. (laughs) It doesn't really work like that. You've got to be great, too. So... It's a it's a Kanishta kind of phenomenon, and there will always be Kanishta adhikaris, and there'll be the bit larger group. So the, the point is that you cannot you have to be careful not to institutionalize Kanishta adhikari type of orientation. You have to institutionalize, if you will, a Madhyam adhikari orientation or Uttam orientation that people will will grow, and then when because when you, when you the problem is you get trapped inside of this um, kanishta orientation, and then when the higher essential teaching comes, you reject it. Hmm? Then you're really in a, in a difficult situation. Hmm? Kanishta orientation may be very useful. There may be things that we can do to help people get involved. Say, do it like this. Don't go there. Stay here. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that works. And I'm focused there and so forth. That's all a ploy for a purpose. Hmm? Like Prabhupada was once asked, Dr. Kapoor said, hmm, you know, uh, the way you're teaching your students, like when you leave, they're not going to listen to anybody. And that could be a problem. Hmm? Because some of us know something too. Uh, <laughs> and they treat us like we don't. This was basically what he was saying to Prabhupada. And Prabhupada said, yeah, you know, you see, here's my strategy, he said. Just like when you plant a tree, 
Hmm? Then you, you plant a fruit tree. Then you put a fence around it so the deer don't come and eat it. Hmm? Because it's tender and young. But if it grows properly, then in due course of time, it will go out on its own beyond the fence. And you can give a few peaches to a few deer. It's not a problem. Hmm? It will grow outside the fence of its own. Hmm? So that, he was saying, this is the ideal. I'm creating this situation for a purpose. They'll be drawn in to, to me and they look so closely at me, pay such close attention that when they turn around, they'll see me everywhere. That's the idea. Hmm? They'll see you in the trees and the animals and the natural environment speaking Krishna consciousness to me. Hmm? See, my guru is instructing me here and there. See the universality of the object of my worship. Hmm? We see the deity in the temple. He's here. He's not anywhere, not anywhere else. He is. The idea is to universalize the object of your worship so that you act in the same way in the temple uh, that you do everywhere else. We, we act one way in the temple and then another way somewhere else. So you know, we got a ways to go in terms of realizing what the deity is, where he is, who he is. Hmm? So, yeah. So serious spiritual practice, that is, that's, and, and, and what helps with that is sadhasanga because that's what like, kind of prods us along and so forth. It helps us to refocus and and uh, our our practice and so forth. So yes. Oh what yeah. can animals do to reach a higher level of consciousness in their next life? Uh-huh. Yeah. Well um the general idea is that they will um naturally uh, go up, hmm? moving. The movement goes from bottom up in this regard, from, you know, aquatics to reptiles to plant life to animal life. And there's a, there's a, an arriving at human life, hmm? naturally. Hmm? So it's, they're not doing anything, it's just like their next life, or if they're good and aren't... <laughs> He's a good cow. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it, the, the implication of what, we're, what I'm saying here is that, that in order to be implicated in karma, there has to be some, uh, some knowledge, some, uh, some volition, some, some choice. So if I'm not at a consciously evolved state to make a choice, then it's difficult for me to be implicated in that which I do. In other words, like an animal's driven by its senses to eat, and you know the dogs don't go, oh, you first, you know, just like, they're there, so they don't have time to think about it, moralize about it, and make a value judgment and so forth. They're driven more by material nature. The vehicle they're in is shaping the expression, the ability of their consciousness, the, the atma to express itself. Mm-hmm. So they're not culpable for their actions, mm-hmm. like like we are, mm-hmm. in the same way. And um, and so, yeah, you might the, the, the in human life, 
therefore you can go up or down. So let's say you do something in human life, then you have to take birth as a cat, hmm? and then a mouse, hmm? and then a, then a cat, and then a dog, and then a tiger, and then a cow, and then a human. Hmm? And that was your karma. Hmm? So the karma's, the idea is played out in a less complex species of life, the karma that is accrued in human life. Understand? And so let's say, so I do something in my human life and it warrants the kind of karma that I have to take birth as an animal. Hmm? So I play the karma out. I'm not further implicating myself in karma in that life. I'm playing out the karma that I accrued in human life. Then I get to human life. So, I, so those less complex pieces of life are naturally moving back towards human life. Or they can go up to humans. Hmm? Play out the good karma in, in a heavenly type realm and then come back down again <laughs> so they're going up and down up and down by good karma and we're doing that in our everyday life we're going up and down we do things that aren't good for us and we have uh, consequences that are um, that are troublesome and we do things that are good and we have consequences that are good so there are obviously consequences for action there's some system built into the universe of rewards and punishments <laughs> the details of all that it's pretty hard to sort out but that's kind of the principle behind the, the, the idea of, of karma. So, um, so they're evolving naturally. Now, they could go faster. That's another thing. And that is by divine intervention. So let's say, you know, we're feeding, and feeding the dog prasadam or something like that. Mm -hmm. Then that's another thing. Then, then it then can come quickly. To, to, to human life, whereas it might not have otherwise. And then, of course, there's also the idea that why that dog is taking prasadam, why that peacock is on your property, why that cow, like yeah. like at Audaudaria in California, in our ashram there, one day peacock just appeared. He's never left, you know. <laughs> I'm figuring, you know, he's got the background that's pretty interesting, <laughs> and, and so forth. So, you know, the story of Bharat Maharaj and the Bhagavatam, he, became, he was a king, he became a deer. Hmm? In his next life, um, it's a long story, but and but in that life he was a deer, but he was conscious of the fact that he had taken birth as a deer because of something he did in his human life. So we used to go and sit next to sages in the forest. We recite the Bhagavatam. Listen, deers are very have very good ears, so he would listen very closely. In the next life he became the sadhu Jad Bharata. Hmm. So does that help? Yeah. Okay. Good. Your question? Yeah. Um, earlier today you mentioned um, you can reach a certain level where you're in a, uh, a loving relationship with Krishna where you are, you are loving Krishna and so you're receiving this love back to such an extent that there is no distinction anymore who's being loved and, and who's loving so kind of swirls together. Um, yeah, I was wondering if you could just elaborate on that. Yeah. Well, it's very complex theologically speaking, but um, hmm, the idea is that first of all, love is is like that, as it the ideal of of, of let's say let's say you and I. Um, are living together. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> and and so uh, we get along. You know, we're having a relationship. Uh, 
And, um, and then I start to find out, eh, you know, there's a couple things that you do that really irritate me. And, you know, as a matter of fact, now that you mention it, there's a couple things I do that really irritate you. So then we, 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 we want to stay together. So we, we write down like, okay, let's tell you what, I will go to bed every night, no later than 10 o'clock. Hmm? And you say, well, you know, can I won't play music, you know, after 10 o'clock or something like that. And so we put the rules on the wall and we, we agree. We salvage the whole thing and so forth. I would call that kind of a breakdown of love where the now it's being held together by rules. Hmm? As much as there are rules, there's no love. As much as there's love, there's no rules. Hmm? In love, in the pure sense, full sense of the term, well, your heart becomes mine, my heart becomes yours. So whatever you want, I want. Whatever I want, you want. Hmm? So we're, we've traded hearts, so to speak. Okay. Right, thank you for coming. Whatever you want, I want. Whatever I want you. So I don't have to want anything anymore for myself. Hmm? I only want what you want. But all... But anyway, <laughs> so this is, this is kind of the idea of of love. Now, you never really fully experience that in this world. I, I don't think we, we try for that and we imagine we might have gotten close and so on and so forth. But, but, uh, if we were to be, well, anyway, it doesn't happen like that. So, so the idea is that, 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 that this is what really drives us in life. We really pursue, we're pursuing something like that. And so it's possible to have it in relation to an enduring object that has the capacity to reciprocate in love in a way that material objects don't, or a karmic manifestation of the world, like that guy's body and mind and so forth, that, you know, eh, it might work, you know, looks good, and we're trying it out kind of a thing, but it falls short. Ultimately, it doesn't endure. My own body doesn't endure, and so forth. So what I want... It, really, if I look at it, is what Krishna consciousness is talking about, but I'm trying to have it without Krishna consciousness. Hmm? And so that's not wise. But then the, the, the idea is, well, then, it, if we examine the human condition, hmm, what's driving the human condition, then sh shouldn't we think that that has something to do with what real life, spiritual life is about? If love is driving the human condition, then isn't there a possibility of love where that, that can actually be experienced? And the idea is that when you look in the different religious traditions, you'll find that this Krishna idea is meant just for that. Hmm? Here is a form of God and so forth that is talked about, is experienced by mystics that, that you can actually do that with. You can Just like you would love a friend. Hmm? Just like you would love a lover. Hmm? It's like you would love a, a, a child and so forth. Uh, that you could have that kind of relationship with the Absolute. That In that form, that means Krishna. This is the only place that that's being talked about. And, and I'm not... Um, there are great other religious traditions and people can go with them and, and they they offer something meaningful. And so, forth. But this is what Gaudi Vaishnavism offers. We think it's very much about what the human heart is about. Hmm? And that our human condition tells us something about the nature of of, of transcendence. Hmm? It's kind of 
twisted backwards like a reflection. So, so how does that work? Um, you know, it works in the way you you would dream. You wish you had a relationship with somebody like that, but it actually works because it works because of the theological and philosophical metaphysical implications of who's involved. First of all, it's it's not your body mind complex that's involved in pursuing that. It's the atma, hmm? uh, and and what we have to separate the atma from the body mind complex, and then then the object in which that. Atma reposes itself in love is Satchitanandagana. It's like condensed eternity, knowledge, and bliss. These are hard things to like, you know, think about with the human mind only. But, um, but that how does it work? Well, you know, they're like, you know, read the Bhagavad Gita. <laughs> it's like a, there's a whole lot of philosophy to how, it, why it works, how it could actually work. What's the reason, the, the philosophical you know, reasoning behind it? Understanding that gives you some idea. It could work. That's possible. Hmm, I should go for it. I can't get it anywhere else. And, and so forth. How it works practically, maybe more what you're asking. How does it like play itself out? What does it look like? Or, or something like that, um, perhaps. Well, if you want to you know, ask the question along those lines, then we find that such a thing is depicted in art in music, in drama, hmm? the, the depictions of Krishna Leela, if you study them and so forth, they're speaking about that in a, in, a, in a way that mystics have felt as best as possible describes something that's beyond words, beyond, uh, it, it, it beyond reason. Hmm? We're trying to kind of fit it in to our head, so to speak, but of course the message is meant to take you out of your head and the limitations of reasoning, but we, as far as possible, we can reason about it, philosophize about it, theologize about it, we can explain the metaphysics of it, or, as I say, we can depict it in art, as it has been, experience, music, drama, and so forth, in narratives of the, of the Leela, hmm? and, um, and, and get some idea of how it works, but what really, again, what it what it constitutes is, is the one unit of consciousness, atma, um, um, having union, the finite having union with the infinite. If the if the finite is to come close to the infinite, the infinite has to take on a finite like appearance. You follow me on that? As I've given that example before. Well, you know. You can't sit next to the infinite without feeling finite, <laughs> and so that's the problem. So, if you want to be intimate, then the infinite has to take on a finite-like appearance. That's the idea of Krishna. Hmm? The absolute takes on a finite-like, a human-like appearance, for the possibility of all that human life looks like it should be about or could be about, but just falls short. But in another sense, it doesn't fall short because it gives us the opportunity to pursue something beyond itself. Hmm? where that can be realized and experienced. And so, what is it like? Um, what is it like to, you know, to fall in love with Krishna? I mean, yeah, it's, it's like, you know, the, it's like the impossible, you know. It's like, it, it doesn't happen on reality TV, you know. <laughs> that, that guy or that gal, you know, doesn't exist. So, um, it's, it's as... as uh, it's so 
the dynamics of that is that it's so fulfilling hmm, that 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 there's there's no um, all of the things that we are, have been ever interested in in our life or ever could be, materially speaking, if we could take them all and inject them into ourselves at once, hmm, they would be absolutely empty, meaningless, and unfulfilling in, in comparison. That's why, as this happens, the various elements of the body, like the liquidity of the body, the, the air that causes movement within the body, um, the, uh, uh, the earth, the solidity of the body, and so forth, these various elements of sorts, when they're 